When he was only six years old, Michael Myers brutally murdered his sister Judith with a butcher knife. He was institutionalized for 15 years under the care of Dr. Sam Loomis until he broke out on Halloween night to go on a rampage that would shake the town of Haddonfield, Illinois to its core and spawn an enduring horror franchise that would continue to this day with 11 films to date and two more in the works. From writer-director John Carpenter, the film that introduced horror fans everywhere to the iconic character of Michael Myers and changed the genre forever, this is 1978's Halloween. I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And it's time for Filmgasm. This is the episode I've been wanting to do since the beginning. One of my all-time favorite horror classics, a staple of October for decades, and a film that truly unites the Filmgasm team with a perfect score. Spoilers, it's a 10 for all of us. Yes, yeah, (laughs) no question. Straight up. The quintessential slasher, the quintessential uh, 70s horror film. You know, it's it's like, it's just, ah, so many cool things uh, going for it. Except no substitutes, and God knows others have tried. This film has had eight sequels, two grisly remakes, and a direct sequel that fixed everything that needed fixing. Few films have had the gargantuan impact on horror that Halloween had. While Hitchcock practically invented the slasher film with Psycho, John Carpenter doubled down with Halloween and brought sexed-up teenagers into the mix, a trope that would later be used in future horror classics like Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street. But in my opinion, it was never used better than it was in Halloween. Not even close. No, yeah. <laughs> Unmatched. Unparalleled. <laughs> the, uh, the teenage, uh, the youth, uh, the actions they take is, uh, yeah. that's just better than all the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Myers was the template for characters like Freddy and Jason and Ghostface and Scream. Like, this was the guy. Yeah, for sure. We hope you had fun with last week's Trick or Treat and our Hocus Pocus bonus focus. We certainly enjoyed those films, and talking about them for your entertainment. Next week, we return to Weird Shit Wednesday, with our spotlight on the career of horror icon Vincent Price, the creepy but charming horror showman who starred in classics like House on Haunted Hill, The Tingler, House of Wax, The Fly, and The Last Man on Earth, among others. We'll dive into a selection of his best works, and talk about where he came from, and how he became synonymous with horror in the 50s and 60s. But first, it's time for the Rewind, where we update past episodes. And just like last week, I've got an update on Joker, Filmgasm bonus episode 8. People were up in arms about the film's use of the song Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter. And by people, I mean two or three people who hadn't complained about something in a while were up in arms. We here at Filmgasm firmly believe that the work and the people who produce the work are separate entities once the work is done. Otherwise, you can't enjoy fucking anything. You know, I mean, look at our episode on Roman Polanski and John Wayne for further evidence of that. So Gary Glitter is currently serving a 16-year prison sentence for attempted rape, indecent assault, and having sex with a girl under 13 years old. However, he sold all of his publishing and licensing rights to his music years ago, so he is not going to see a penny from the song's use in Joker. There you go. That ought to ease some consciences. For sure. For sure. (laughs) Well, it's mostly people just trying to find something wrong because the movie was... Exquisite. I think so many people wanted that movie to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just so they could bitch. Well, it's people who didn't even see it. Yeah, they didn't even go. They didn't even go see it. So. Exactly. And without that song, that whole scene loses a lot of punch. 
Yeah, it's it's used very well. <laughs> it's awesome. So with that, let's get into Halloween. Prior to directing Halloween, cult film legend John Carpenter had only done 1974's Dark Star. Oh yeah. And 1976's Assault on Precinct 13. Oh yeah. I fucking hate Dark Star. <laughs> Why? It's boring. <laughs> it is the it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I gave it a 3 on the website. It's alien without an alien. It's the same fucking story, but way worse. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, w- I-, I don't think it's good or anything, but I don't feel that strongly against it. <laughs> I went in, you know, I'm a big Carpenter fan. I've seen most of his yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went in with pretty high expectations. I think I'm just biased, yeah, maybe. And I was I like, know. what the fuck is this? It's only like an hour, nine minutes yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, it's really short. But it felt like a three-hour slog. Whereas Assault on Precinct 13 is the exact opposite. It's a fucking evenly paced badass flick. Yeah, it's perfect. Carpenter was a newbie, but it was Precinct 13 that got him the job. After producer Erwin Yablins saw the film at the Milan Film Festival and loved it so much, he sought Carpenter out to direct a film idea he had about a psycho killer who stalked and murdered babysitters. So you can thank Assault on Precinct 13 for Halloween. Cool. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't need more to love that movie, but now I do. Carpenter agreed to direct if he was given full creative control and was paid $10,000 for writing, directing, and scoring the film. And that, I mean, that's pretty ballsy. His third film, he's not even a success yet, and he wants full creative control over another guy's idea. (laughs) That's, I love that. (laughs) Only Carpenter could get away with that shit. Oh, man. Oh, I love it. So, Carpenter and his then-girlfriend, Deborah Hill, began writing what was then titled The Babysitter Murders. It was Erwin Yablins who suggested the film would have, ha- would have more punch if it took place on Halloween night and called the film Halloween. Carpenter agreed, and the rest is history. The screenplay took ten days to write, and the film had a budget of $300,000. <laughs> ten days. Times have changed, haven't they? <laughs> one, of the most inc- one of the most iconic films of all time. Ten days, three hundred grand. Three hundred grand, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. A lot of Carpenter and Hill's inspiration came from the Celtic Festival of Samhain, which we talked about last week in the Trick or Treat episode. Hill said that, quote, the idea was that you couldn't kill evil. And that was how we came about the story. We went back to the old idea of Samhain, that Halloween was the night where all the souls are let out to wreak havoc on the living, and then came up with a story about the most evil kid who ever lived. And when John came up with this fable of a town with a dark secret of someone who once lived there, and now that evil has come back, that's what made Halloween work. Deborah Hill sadly died in 2005 at age 54 of cancer, but she fucking killed it with Halloween, and I think without her input, this movie would have been much different. Yeah, Deborah Hill is um, is way ahead of her time, uh, a, a woman working in... In the film industry, you know, in the 70s and 80s, she, yeah. was, she was a genius, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I think um, her partnership with Carpenter is a big reason why Halloween is as exciting as it is, you know. For sure. And as uh, it, it still resonates, still, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's people who, like, haven't seen it who I know who, like, who will tell me, oh, man, I finally got around to seeing Halloween. That blows my mind. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, that's that's amazing. You know, it's still reaching new audiences. And, uh, so, and then with, you know, of course... The new one that came out uh, last year just, whew, Oh, boy. And, you know, sh- completely shatters everybody's minds, and it's like, okay, here we go, it's back. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. To create the now iconic image of the blank, emotionless mask of Michael Myers, 
Production designer Tommy Lee Wallace bought a Star Trek Captain Kirk mask for about two bucks at a local costume shop. He widened the eye holes and spray painted it white. And that's how we got Michael Myers. It's Kirk's, it's Shatner's face. Thanks, Star Trek. (laughs) Carpenter's often said he owes his career to William Shatner, which is great. The other the other one they went with was a like a clown mask. <laughs> and I, I don't think that would have worked. Oh no! Oh no! You need that you know that blank face. You can project anything Ghost. on it. It's the face yeah. of the devil. Yeah, it's perfect. Halloween grossed seventy million on a budget of three hundred thousand dollars, making this one of the most profitable independent films ever made. In two thousand six, it was selected for the National Film Registry to be preserved by the Library of Congress for its cultural. Significance. Not a lot of horror films can boast that. No, no, you can. Yeah, you, you can look at the the list of those I have before. Have you looked at that? The film registry. I have not. It's I'm, pretty amazing because there's a lot, a, like yeah. a lot. But like Connor said, it's rare to see like a sci-fi or a horror. You know, I can guess fantasy. like a good chunk of them. You know, Godfather. Of, well, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a lot. Kane, it's yeah. a shit ton. Yeah. But it is interesting when a horror film gets selected. It's like you know, it's mm-hmm. validating. Yeah. Like oh yeah, cultural significance. You can't deny. Can't no. deny that. Oh yeah, this is the definition of cultural significance. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, I mean, it it literally made you know like sixty eight million dollars profit. <laughs> so uh, that's amazing. Wonderful. The cast includes veteran character actor Donald Pleasance as Doctor Sam Loomis, Michael Myers' obsessive psychiatrist who insists that Michael is pure evil, which I always thought was the exact opposite of what a psychiatrist is supposed to think. But I digress. <laughs> I mean, Loomis is a weirdo. He is not a good doctor at all. <laughs> he's terrible, but my God, he's great. In this he's a movie. great character. He's a fucking awful doctor. Yeah. The role was offered to horror icon Peter Cushing, but his agent rejected the low salary. Christopher Lee was approached, but he turned it down too, later saying that that was the biggest mistake of his career. Well, yeah, yeah. Didn't know, though. I, oh, no. I you, you wouldn't know. And you, you look at the budget, and you're like, uh, what are you going to pay me? You look, at no. a, you look at the budget, you look at the director who's got two in the past that aren't exactly giant hits. And strange, yeah, different kind of films. And, yeah. I mean, I you know, if I was Christopher Lee, I wouldn't bother taking that risk. Yeah, I understand, totally. Yeah. But Donald Pleasance accepted the role because his daughter was a fan of Assault on Precinct 13. There you go. That movie, all of it ties back to that movie. It's well, amazing. And, and it's like, hey, I mean, you know, script took ten days to write. How long did it take to shoot? You know, I mean... It's just a little bit of work. You yeah. might as well. I read that like they had such a, the budget was so low that they had the actors like helping them set up the stage and everything. Yeah, that like, surprised me. Fantastic. Pleasance would go on to play Loomis in four more sequels until his death in 1995 mm-hmm. at age 75 of complications from heart surgery. In addition, Pleasance has portrayed the iconic James Bond villain Ernst Stavro Blofeld in 1967's You Only Live Twice alongside Sean Connery, and he would work with Carpenter again as the president in 1981's Escape from New York. <laughs> and, of course, we'll, I'll always remember him as the bad guy in Puma Man, <laughs> one of the uh, Mystery Science Theater best episodes. That's fantastic. Or as he calls it, Puma Man, because nobody bothered to correct him. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's great. Donald Pleasance. Love the guy. Newcomer Jamie Lee Curtis was cast as Laurie Strode, the sole surviving babysitter who bests Michael in the end. Jamie Lee Curtis is the daughter of actor Tony Curtis and iconic scream queen Janet Lee. Halloween was her big break, and she would later star in films like Trading Places, A Fish Called Wanda, 
True Lies, Freaky Friday, and the TV series Scream Queens. Curtis would play Laurie again in three more sequels and also appeared in the 2018 sequel and is set to appear in the two sequels to that film. Yes. This was the role that defined her career, and I'm glad she's finally accepted that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. After a long time of, you know, doing this and that. I do love uh, Fish Called Wanda. Oh, it's hilarious. That's a great film. (laughs) I love her Trading Places. That's such a funny movie. Yeah, yeah. Free Friday. Not totally for me. Eh. True Lies is awesome, though. Yes, yes. And I never watched Scream Queens, but I don't think it lasted very long. Two seasons, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Nancy Keys, who was then Nancy Loomis plays Annie, one of Lori's friends. Keyes was one of Carpenter's mainstays early in his career. She appeared in Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, The Fog, and Halloween 2, as well as playing a different character in Halloween 3 before she retired in 1992. And the word, the name Loomis just surrounds Carpenter in so many different ways. The character is named after the doctor from uh, Psycho. Yes. But then you've got Nancy Loomis. Like, it's, it's weird. And, of course, that name would later be adopted in Scream as a reference to both Halloween and Psycho. So it's just it's a cool name. It is. I mean, Loom- L- Loomis. It's just creepy. <laughs> PJ Souls plays Linda, Lori's other friend. Souls also appeared in Carrie, Stripes, and The Devil's Rejects. She also played the teacher in the 2018 Halloween. Yeah, I love that. It's great. <laughs> so cool. She was, mar- uh, she was married to Dennis Quaid for a while. Wow. Yeah, for like 10 years. That. They got divorced. Huh. Charles Cyphers plays Sheriff Lee Brackett, the law of Haddonfield, who's a really bad cop. Cyphers would play Brackett in Halloween 2 and is set to play him again in the upcoming Halloween Kills. He's also the Secretary of State in Escape from New York. Michael Myers was played mostly by Nick Castle, though he is billed as The Shape. Castle returned to play Michael again in the 2018 direct sequel, and he is set to play him again in the two sequels to that film. Castle is also an accomplished writer, having written the screenplays for Escape from New York and August Rush. He also directed The Last Starfighter, Dennis the Menace, and Major Payne. Who'd have thought? Yeah, that is wild. <laughs> Amazing. The, uh, the Half Price Books store uh, down the road, they had for the longest time a Blu-ray signed by Nick Castle of Halloween. What behind the, the glass. Like, it was like 50 bucks. Oh, man. I was like, who gave that away? Yeah. <laughs> Who was like, here, I'll sell this for 15 bucks. Oh, God. They turn around. <laughs> I was, I Why didn't you it. get it? Yeah. Because 50 bucks. 50. Yeah. A too much. I already own Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if I, I'm not going to buy an autograph. I, I want an autograph, but I'm not going to go buy one. What if the person's passed away? He's not. <laughs> yeah, but what if they are? Like, would you buy it? Depends on the person, I yeah. guess. Yeah, if you like her and yeah. love like them. If, let's let's say, for instance, Vincent Price. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You, you'd try to find something yeah. autographed. Of course. But like... Or like John Lennon? John, I, would, I wouldn't, John Lennon, oh, honestly. Wow. I don't like John Lennon. Damn. <laughs> and I am going to just leave that and move on. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. I just... I'm, I have I'm, a lot of thoughts on the Beatles. Yeah, I'm a Paul uh, guy. I think John is. I guess everybody does, but his music. I think his music's overrated. I don't think he's a particularly good his solo person. Music? Yeah. Okay. And I just I think because he was killed, his legend got glorified. Huh. Yeah. That's I think, fascinating. I think if Paul had been the one who got I knew, shot, I knew you were a Paul. Thing. I knew you were a Paul guy. Yeah, I'm more of a Paul guy. Mm-hmm. I I would too. I you know I really enjoy you know Ben on the Run and stuff like that, but um. Ooh, I like John Lennon too. So <laughs> that's tough. 
they, to me, they they both have to ha- I like, absolutely have to be there for that all to to unfold and work as it did. That's true. I just think he exploited it a lot more than Paul did. I think that have I don't you read like those? Way... Have you read those letters that they sent back and forth before they like broke up? You know, I have not. They're pretty. It makes both of them look like really pretentious and like oh, really guys. Just just shut up and like play some music. You know, don't. Oh, yeah. Not saying, like, that's all you should be doing because, like, you're only musicians, but if you read them, you know. And I think they were somewhere on the internet. I found them because they were, like, in an auction and someone bought them for millions of dollars. God. Have these letters that they sent before they broke up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just weird. I would love to talk about the Beatles one day. <laughs> maybe if we talk about that movie that came out yesterday. Yeah. That movie that came out. <laughs> we could talk about That'd the Beatles awesome. more. We could do Help or Hard Day's Night, one of those movies. Yeah, yeah. So. I'd, be, I'd totally be down for that. Me too. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 such a fascinating part of a uh, of pop culture. Yeah, uh, you you can't deny how you know how massive they were, but everybody has their opinion on like oh, I, there's there's a lot of people you meet like young people you meet are like no nah, not for me. Oh yeah, I've met a couple of those. It's people. weird. It's weird because I used to be like that when I was younger, like in middle school, but then I as I got older, I just you know just started listening to more and I would actually give it time, you know. And the Beatles are one of those bands you got to listen to, like the whole album and to like really understand and. Very true. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, it's just yeah. That's 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 fun though. To <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. One day we'll. That table started that. with autographs. I know. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, a Vincent yeah. Price autograph would be sweet. It would. <laughs> the original Halloween has an IMDb score of seven point eight and a Rotten Tomato score of ninety six percent. It's beloved by critics. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the well, you know it's one of the few uh, horror films that's just. Across the board. Everybody. Universally loved. Yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, that's some classic entertainment. Yeah. Before we get into the story of the film that started it all, let's hear from Filmgasm contributors Caleb Leger and Josh Allred, who both adore this film and would like to give their two cents. Or a little more than two cents, yeah, maybe. We'll at see. least a dollar seventy-five. <laughs> so <laughs> at least. So here's Caleb's thoughts on Halloween. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the one which helped open the door for the slasher boom of the 80s, the one which made Jamie Lee Curtis a bona fide scream queen, the one which made John Carpenter one of horror's most iconic directors, and one of the most financially successful low-budget independent films of all time. Initially deemed a trashy horror film full of grotesque imagery upon its initial release, Halloween would go on to become a classic while spawning a franchise still continuing to this day, a franchise with an admittedly fucked up timeline. Trust me, you could do a separate topic on the timeline and the continuity in general, but none have ever toppled the behemoth that is the original 1978 Halloween. Halloween was director John Carpenter's third feature film. After the success of his film Assault in Precinct 13, two young producers sought out Carpenter to direct a film idea they had. Carpenter agreed, but only if he had full creative control. Luckily, they gave it to him. I say this because he is a huge reason so many things work in this film. Carpenter's direction is some of the best in his career, with Steadicam shots that are being analyzed to this day. The opening scene alone is absolutely brilliant. Let's, not, let's also not forget his iconic score. Throughout a good chunk of his career, Carpenter used synth scores for his movies, which he would create himself. Of all of them, Halloween is probably his most iconic and my personal favorite. As soon as the opening titles roll and the score kicks in, I have the hugest smile on my face. The other thing which works so well thanks to Carpenter is the script, co-written by then-girlfriend Deborah Hill. Having her write with him has created some of the more believable dialogue amongst female protagonists that I've seen in a horror film. That's true. Mm-hmm. That really helped. 
Now, the legacy of this film. First, the introduction of famous actor Jamie Lee Curtis. She would go on to be in quite a bit of horror films in the 80s and earn the title of Scream Queen. And while she would go on to do more things outside the genre, she has been gracious, gracious enough to reprise the role for the most recent entry in the franchise. Her performance here is just perfect, and you can see why she has had the career she's had. The other actresses are also great, particularly PJ Souls, whose catchphrase of totally has become famous. I had the luck of meeting her at Crypticon, where she hugged me and said the line to my face. It was awesome. That's fucking great, man. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Donald Pleasance as Dr. Sam Loomis. Established well before this, he never hams it up. At least not like he started to do in the sequels. Granted, I love his over-the-top performances in the later films. Here, though, he plays a calm but fiercely determined doctor just trying to save the town from pure evil. Finally, the shape himself, Michael Myers. He has rightly gone on to become a horror icon and a grandfather of the slasher genre, and it's easy to see why. Even though he's presumably a man, he's presented as a force of unstoppable evil. He can't be stopped. He can't be killed. He is the boogeyman. It's that mixture of man and supernatural that makes Michael Myers just a great horror icon. I love the original Halloween. It was the first major horror franchise I got into. I remember once I picked up the Blu-ray of it, I watched it over, over and over again hundreds of times. Surprisingly, I still have that copy and never wore it out. I was instantly hooked by everything and had to watch the entire franchise, something which I don't regret to this day. Halloween is a perfect example of a horror film which was made with real passion, both in front of and behind the camera. It and its famous boogeyman have rightly earned their status in the genre. So remember, kids, don't do drugs or have sex, or Michael Myers may just come and find you. 10 out of 10. Well said, Caleb. I can definitely see your passion. Indeed. And cool that you met PJ Souls. Like, seriously. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Totally. <laughs> Thanks for your thoughts, man. And now Josh, who would like to gloss over every film in the franchise. So get set for a brief preview of everything that came from Halloween right now. I'm going to do my best to keep it straight as I pour through each entry in this franchise. Easier said than done. Most would say that John Carpenter's Halloween is the blueprint for the slasher explosion that followed in the wake of its release. That's brushing aside the impact of films like Toby, quote, he directed Poltergeist with Steven Spielberg as an impossible to sit back and allow Toby to direct the film he was hired to do producer, Hoopers, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Bob Clark's Black Christmas, Michael Powell's Peeping Tom, and Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Yeah, not exactly subtle on the <laughs> Poltergeist shade there, Josh. Not too subtle on the uh, yeah throwing shade on uh, throwing shade on us not having a Lost Boys uh, review yet either. <laughs> We're doing our best. There's a lot. To I've watch. seen that movie twenty times. I just <laughs> haven't gotten around to writing about it. Oh my god. Okay. I'm not saying that Halloween didn't cause a stir on its release because it did. Fun fact: Producer Erwin Yablin suggested that the then titled The Babysitter Murders might make more of a mark if it were based around a particular holiday as Black Christmas had been released a few years prior. So we owe it to Black Christmas for inspiring a change in title to an iconic film in horror. Oh, yeah. And if you like Black Christmas, you're going to enjoy our December lineup. I'll just say that. Yes, sir. There's a lot to love about this film, and more so when it comes to the careers it helped launch, specifically John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. Carpenter is an amazing filmmaker who has so many tools in his arsenal. He knows how to use the medium to create tension, and is an amazing musician, as is evidenced by the numerous scores he's composed and played for most of his films. The credits are endless, and any true horror fan should be familiar with his work. If not, what are you waiting for? Get 
on it. Jamie Lee Curtis became a bona fide Scream Queen because of this performance, as well as her performances in Prom Night and Terror Train. She was a great foil for her more promiscuous friends who were murdered by the shape and set in stone the criteria for the final girl. Most, aside from Marilyn Burns, owe it to Jamie Lee Curtis for casting the mold. And Marilyn Burns is the final girl in 74's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I haven't even gotten to Donald Pleasance and his role as Dr. Sam Loomis, the Ahab to Myers' Moby Dick. If there was never another sequel after the 78 film, I would have been fine with that, but Hollywood never lets money sit on the table. And that's what led to Halloween 2 and the beginning of the end for any clarity and continuity in the franchise. Clever enough, the sequel takes place immediately following the end of the first film, with Michael continuing his pursuit of Laurie at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. We learn the reason why Michael is after Laurie and the strange family tree starts to grow. The violence is more brutal than the relatively bloodless first film, and the ending is a whole lot more dramatic than the shape being shot off a balcony as Ahab takes himself and his killer, Moby Dick, out in a blaze of glory, or so we thought. That's not the last time this phrase will be used. Next, we have the bastard child of the series, the red-headed stepchild, if you will, Halloween 3's Season of the Witch. At this point, Carpenter and producer Deborah Hill had been involved with both films and felt that the story of Michael Myers hunting his sister Lori and being blown up was over. Makes sense, right? So they decided to move into the anthology game and use this third film to tell a completely different story with Halloween, the holiday, serving as the unifying thread from the first two films. Dr. Dan Chalice is a smooth-talking, beer-drinking divorcee who's trying to get to the bottom of a conspiracy concerning the Silver Shamrock Novelty Company. Somehow a rock from Stonehenge, an evil Irish businessman, and a Celtic ritual are all in play here, and the payoff, unless Chalice can stop him, is the mass murder of millions of children with Halloween masks. Because it lacked Michael Myers, people hated this film, and I could see it as, and I could see as this is part of the franchise in name only. That said, this batshit crazy movie is way better than it should have been and is now considered a classic in its own right. I think it's fucking fantastic and a lot better than some of the latter entries that are quote-unquote canon. I'm looking at you, Buster Rhymes versus Michael Myers. I, all right, I'm going to say it here because I, I need to. Fuck Halloween 3. <laughs> yeah. I, it's horrible. I don't get this weird obsession with Halloween 3 with a lot of horror fans. It's a god-awful movie. And I know this is going to bite me in the ass with you too, but I don't fucking care. This movie, that movie sucks. Okay, moving on. I don't, I don't, uh, no, no, not moving on, no. Oh, you're going to, okay. No, I'm going to tack on. I'm with you. Uh, oh, good, all right. <laughs> why does this, why does this happen in in the horror community where people latch on to shitty, to shitty movies because they're weird? Because they're different, or because they stand out because they're weird? I don't understand it. I don't understand... <clears throat> Text Chainsaw 2. Uh, yeah. uh, stuff like that. What? Dude, I've been getting Halloween 3 love for my whole family, my whole life. I don't get it. No. I finally watched it last year, and I was like, this? Are you kidding me? Maybe, maybe, maybe... I don't know. Maybe you... Uh, you also have a higher tolerance for this stuff than I do. <laughs> and, like, my maybe my lens needs to change when I'm watching some of these things, but I, 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 I can't fucking take it seriously. Oh, trust me. It's not you. <laughs> okay. <good. laughs> With this one, it's not you. Well, because, you know, I, I adore Halloween to yeah. death. It's amazing. It's I a- love at least two of them. I like two, two other ones. I, 
Yeah, I don't. I I can't. <laughs> I can't say I enjoy any of them, but um, the you know seventy eight and two thousand eighteen. But I also haven't seen all of them. So I've seen a couple of them. I've seen the Buster Rhymes one. <laughs> that, Christ, that is an adventure. All right, back to Josh's thoughts. In trying to bring the shape back into the series, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, was released in 1988. This entry gave us Danielle Harris, as this was her first film, and she was cast to continue the franchise after Jamie Lee Curtis. Here's where things get strange, so bear with me. Laurie Strode has died in a car accident, or so we thought. Told you you'd hear it again. But not before she had a daughter, Jamie. This news is heard by Michael, who's been in a coma after he was blinded, burned, and blown up in Halloween 2, but that doesn't stop him. Fuck no, why would it? <laughs> His nemesis, Dr. Loomis, has also survived. Okay, I get why Michael would survive an explosion, but Loomis, like a 60-year-old psychiatrist, is just walking away from that? Yeah, okay, running from it. He's trying his best to keep little Jamie safe from her murderous uncle. As usual, nothing seems to stop Michael in his quest to kill his last living relative. But why? Why does he go after someone he has never met? What's really going on here? Well, before you can really even think about that, Loomis shoots Michael and he falls down a fucking mine shaft because bullets and fire weren't enough. Then the movie lays down that maybe murder is in the jeans because at the end, Jamie, wearing a similar clown costume to the one Michael wore way back in 63, attacks her foster mother. Loomis freaks out and tries to kill the little girl he was protecting the entire movie because now she's no better than Myers. The shape is dead, or so we thought. Now we have part five, The Revenge of Michael Myers, released in 89. I know what you're thinking. That sure is a short time in between films to shoot, edit, and release a film. They must have had a plan to shoot back-to-back films and capitalize on the resurgence of the face of the franchise. Not on your life. They didn't even have a finished script when they went into production. That's fucking awesome. (laughs) A critical and commercial failure, this film picks up with Jamie being a mute after the traumatic events of the previous film. Totally understandable, but what isn't is that her and Michael have an inexplicable psychic link that allows him to track her down. Lazy fucking writing right there. Guess that's what happens when you get all jazzy and try to freeform a movie. (laughs) The only thing this movie does is set up the next entry, which won't happen for six years. At this point, it seems like the only thing this franchise is good at is starting careers. I say that because Halloween Part 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, is Paul Rudd's first film role. Now, other than Paul Rudd, what does this movie have going for it? Shitty 90s computer graphics, the return of Tommy Doyle, played by Rudd, and an actual explanation for what has been driving Michael Myers all this time. A cult, and not just any cult, the Cult of Thorn. What's the Cult of Thorn? I don't know, but they're weird. Real weird. They're responsible for the crazy strength and power that Michael has had over the years and why he can't die. He has to fulfill his duty to the cult, which involves him impregnating his niece, Jamie Lloyd, to fulfill their prophecy. I haven't seen these movies, but I gotta see this shit. After the baby's birth, Michael kills Jamie, but wouldn't you know it, the baby is gone, and who should find it but Tommy Doyle? Other than Paul Rudd, this movie is largely forgettable for me. The only other point to note is that this is the last film to have Donald Pleasance, as the actor died soon after. Fear not, because now we have the second reboot at this stage. Yes, I am considering part four a reboot. And the return of Laurie Strode. 1998 is the year that Halloween H2O came to theaters, and another shake-up to the franchise. Gone is the Jamie Lloyd storyline, and instead we pick up 20 years after the events of Halloween 1 and 2, since they take place on the same night, even though Halloween 2 was released in 1981. Makes sense? Pause. This, Alright, this continuity is so fucked, and I'm really glad Josh 
sent this because this is giving us a nice template to kind of jump off. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Unpause. Laurie Strode faked her death and has changed her name to Carrie Tate and is a headmistress of a private school that her son John attends. Laurie is haunted by her brother and tries to drown him out with vodka. Lots of vodka. Somehow Michael finds Laurie and once again kills everyone in order to kill his sister and nephew. The arc of 78, 81, and 98 has a satisfying ending as Laurie cuts off Michael's head after she pinned him against a tree with a goddamn van. We see the head of Michael Myers roll onto the floor as Carpenter's score swells. The shape is dead. Or so we thought. I don't know why they made this terrible sequel. Not even Buster Rhymes could save this dumpster fire of a movie. This is 2002's Halloween Resurrection. It was made for money and dragged a reluctant Jamie Lee Curtis back, contractually obligated, only for her to be killed off since this movie undoes all the good H2O had in it. That's all the time I'm spending on that nonsense. Avoid that movie. And that is the timeline. Or so I thought. Rob Zombie's two Halloween films are their own story, and one day I'll get to them. (laughs) This brings me to the 2018 sequel from Danny McBride, Kenny fucking Powers as a writer, and director David Gordon Green. In true franchise fashion, they proudly forget everything that happened in the films after 78 for the purposes of telling their story. So choose your path in this twisted and extremely convoluted timeline. Nothing makes sense. The masks are never the same from one film to the next, and you're never really sure what's going on. Having said that, you can't say that this franchise is boring. It's getting two more films, Halloween Kills in 2020 and Halloween Ends in 2021, which brings the total to 11 films by 2021, and 13 if you count Rob Zombie's flicks in with the bunch. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to try and get some rest. My brains are mushy like pumpkin guts. Wow! Fantastic! God damn, Josh! Well done! <laughs> um, you you want to wrap up the podcast now, or what? <laughs> We fucking could. I mean, <laughs> goddamn. Clearly passionate. Thank you for your thoughts, guys. Hope you enjoy the episode, although you are going to fucking hate me for that Halloween 3 thing. So let's tear into... That's ho- what you get, though. I mean, you know. <laughs> let's tear into Halloween. Let's you talk fucking about bring the story. it up. You're going to fucking, you know. <laughs> mess the bowl, you get the horns. Oh, boy. What? We got to stop opening these cans of worms. <laughs> also, also... Uh, I wouldn't say this if I wasn't a big fan of it as a kid. I might still be a big fan of it secretly. But uh, J- Paul Rudd was in Clueless a few months before the Halloween movie came out. And that was, he was like, that was a big, big, big role for him. I, I think that was really the, the standout where Paul Rudd was like, uh, had a big role in a, like a comedy, a teen comedy. And uh, that what a one-two for him to be in that and then Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Fascinating. Crazy. Paul Rudd is... Probably the most famous person to emerge from the Halloween franchise. Now. I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say so. Damn. Who would have thought? <laughs> Ant-Man. Uh, Jamie Lee. I don't know. That's tough. These days, I would... These days, Paul yeah. Rudd, especially since he's Ant-Man. Yeah. He's got There's just, there's just like, like, our parents' generation. Like, Jamie Lee's big, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I would say certainly now. He's a part of Marvel and has been in... Countless, you know. Well, when I was looking through Jamie Lee Curtis's IMDb page, she's had some big ones, but not nearly as many as I thought. Yeah, and then a lot of ones I'm like, wait, what? What is that? Yeah. But, you know, she is a Hollywood legacy. She's royalty. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. That helped, I'm sure. She's great. Well, that's that's moot. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Fame is fame. (laughs) So, we begin in 1963 on Halloween night in Haddonfield, Illinois where six-year-old Michael Myers stabs his sister Judith to death. And one thing that 
critics have pointed out, but John Carpenter continues to deny, is that everyone who dies in this movie is promiscuous. So it's almost like Michael is like a walking condom or something, killing people who try to have sex. But it's, I don't know. Carpenter said that was stupid, but critics have continued to point that out. And the one who survives is the virgin, Lori. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. People think what they think. So, six-year-old Michael stabs his sister to death with a kitchen knife. And he gets incarcerated at Smith's Grove Sanitarium for 15 years. Under the watchful eye of Dr. Sam Loomis, who I think made this kid evil. I, yeah, I certainly didn't help. No. You know what I mean? I think this kid was disturbed. I think he killed his sister. I think he could have come back from it if Loomis hadn't been, you know, piping in your pure evil for 15 years. Yeah, if you just had a different doctor, for sure. Yeah, might have had a different outcome. Yeah, I'd like to see his uh, his doctorate, University of American Samoa. Yeah, John Carpenter, where's that at, huh? <laughs> Ugh. So, 15 years later, Loomis is going to the sanitarium to bring Michael to court for some reason. I guess he's got he's up for parole. And at the sanitarium, Michael attacks them, steals their car, and escapes. And I love... Michael Myers is the only horror icon I can think of who can drive. <laughs> That's just kind of funny to me that he's just cruising around the neighborhood. <laughs> you never see Jason hotwire a car. <laughs> no, no, no. No, Michael's so damn quiet. He just, you know. Yeah. Fantastic. That's how does he great. know how to drive? He's been in a little room his entire life. I don't know. I don't know. Awesome. So he goes back to Haddonfield to just kill whatever he can find. He doesn't really have a plan. He kills a mechanic, steals his clothes, steals a mask from a hardware store. Was the mechanic being promiscuous? Oh, no. He wasn't. Hmm. Maybe. We don't know. He might have been up to something. Maybe. I don't know. I just just don't like that that's, like, the narrative that people have, like... It's like, no, it's just a good slasher movie. That's what Carpenter says. Like, I'm not trying to do anything here but make a good movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. My favorite part of this movie is when he steal like when he steals the mask from the the hardware store and the cops mm. just like, must have been some kids. All they stole was a mask, some knives and rope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, up to no good. <laughs> what the fuck? That is not That's bad. That's what kids are up to in Haddonfield. Jesus I don't want to go to Illinois. I don't want to go to Haddonfield. <laughs> that is a shopping list for a fucking maniac. And you're just like, "Eh, it's probably some kids." Yeah. Whatever. Sheriff Brackett, ladies and gentlemen. No wonder Michael got away with so much in this movie. Yeah, the oh, fucking yeah. law is a joke here. Yeah. So on Halloween, Michael starts stalking high school students. Lori Strode, Annie Brackett, and Linda Vanderklok. And uh, only Lori notices. But he's just kind of walking around in broad day. He never does anything in broad daylight. He's just kind of scoping the kill. Yeah. Well, and you have that you know, wonderful bit where he's... Uh... Uh, the three friends are, are walking on the sidewalk and he's driving, which is like great that he's driving. <laughs> and one of them, she yells at him and he's... <laughs> Speed kills! He, he pumps, <laughs> pumps on the brakes and just sits there for a minute. It's fucking creepy as hell. <laughs> and then just keeps driving. I love thinking about that because like, he stopped and like thought about it. You know, Michael Myers is like... <sighs> <laughs> what is? His, I'll wait till like, later. <laughs> what is his inner voice like? Because he never talks, but he's He's very smart. Like, what is he thinking? 
throughout all the movies. Like, I, I would love to know what his inner monologue is like. Especially when we, like, scenes where we don't get to see him, you know, where he's, like, hiding in a closet. Yeah, he's, like, <laughs> well, well, like, uh, both Josh and Caleb brought up, like, the supernatural part. He's almost, like, a, he's almost just moving up instinct, like he's an animal. Like, he's, like, just, like, killing is, like, his, like, fuel to, like, so we never see him, like, drink anything or eat anything or do anything that normal humans do. He's like a Terminator. Yeah, so as far as we know, this guy is not human, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, there's a really, lot of evidence that he's not. It's really crazy. But yeah. there's so much evidence that he is. And I love that it straddles that it's line. It's like half man, half And it lets yeah. you decide for yourself. Yeah. And that's what a smart movie does. But it's also like, it doesn't matter what you decide. He's going to come after you like a brick like a brick wall just caving in on you. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it doesn't matter what you think or assume he's going to kill you. Yep. That's crazy. <laughs> so Loomis goes to Haddonfield, assuming Michael's going to go home. And he finds out that they... He stole his sister's tombstone from the local cemetery. Judith Myers' tombstone is gone. What's he doing with that? And he meets with Sheriff Lee Brackett and his dad, and they both go to investigate Michael's house. And Loomis convinces Brackett that Michael's dangerous. He's extremely dangerous. And I just love the way Loomis just constantly describes him as pure fucking evil. He's building him up to just be like, you know... I love my favorite line is when he says, uh, "Death has come to your little town." Uh, oh. it, you can either help me stop it or ignore it. Like mm. that should have been on the poster, <laughs> but you know, the night he came home. I just I, I like that. Like death has come to your town. <laughs> the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Like, mm. You're a bad doctor, Loomis. <laughs> well, the doctor in 2018 shitty as hell too. Yeah, but he, like, actively wanted to, like, be Michael. Yeah, he was, like, he had a whole different incentive. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that a different, yeah, another time. This, I love, my, I just picture Loomis working at the, at Smith's Grove, and he, like, meets a schizophrenic, and he's just, is just like, that man is possessed by a demon, maybe four or five. He must be killed. He's just the worst fucking doctor. Ugh. Four, maybe, maybe four or five. <laughs> you must believe me. There's no telling. <laughs> uh, wonderful. <laughs> so Brackett's going to patrol the streets. Loomis is going to wait at... Oh, great. Brackett's going to patrol yeah. the streets. You, this guy's horrible. He's pure evil. He'll kill anything in touch. So you take this one. <laughs> I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> and camp out. <laughs> Where the fuck is Will Patton at when you need him, you know? God, God damn it. Oh, but I love it. So, that night, Lori is babysitting Tommy Doyle. And Annie's babysitting Lindsay across the street, unaware that Michael is about to, you know, start his night. Halloween just started for Michael Myers. Annie's boyfriend, Paul, calls her to pick him up. And she's gonna... She takes Lindsay over to... Lori, they're talking about boys and prom and all that shit. I don't know. I zone out during those scenes, to be honest. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we all know why we're here. Well, well, I think that has to do with watching it over and over as well. Like you've seen it, you know, a hundred times. Yeah. So it's like the, the those little scenes that are just like point A to point B. <laughs> you, you are just trying to like kind of get through, but but they are when like I watch this movie with like. Really, I was really focused for the, the first time in a long time watching this movie because I usually am kind of just like waiting for those like Michael Myers moments. Yeah, 
but this time I kind of watched it, and I think the reason we all have it as a ten is because those scenes are good when you're like when you when you're paying attention to them. They are. I mean, they do it, sound not, genuine. I'm not saying that you're like, oh, those parts aren't good. <laughs> I just when you watch it so many times, you're just like, like you said, I know what I want. <laughs> I know what I, I know what I want to get to here when I'm watching Halloween. But that's the case with like any movie that's a especially favorite especially a slasher. Yeah, you're a waiting slasher for your favorite film. parts. Yeah, you're waiting for the killer to be on yeah. the screen. Or like you know, we've talked about uh, Dark Knight a lot in here. You're kind of waiting for Joker to come back. So yeah, yeah, you're exactly. waiting for the you're waiting for the evil to be back on the screen because you're like ah. The bad guys are always the most fascinating part of a movie. Yes. I don't know why. Well, I'd say they're the most fascinating like in sports too. Like Dennis Rodman is always like you can't keep your eyes off of him. And he's like <laughs> always doing the craziest shit. <laughs> it's awesome. Even in like politics, it's, yes, it's crazy. Obviously, <laughs> 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 fucking obviously, dude. Ugh. We're obsessed with people who. Have no moral compass. Just don't give a shit. Yeah, who just say anything with no remorse. And or... Michael is a very good example of somebody who has zero conscience. Yeah, he is a force of nature. Go, go, go. Yeah. Ugh. So Annie gets in her car to go pick up Paul, and Michael is in the back seat, and he strangles her, and and cuts her throat. Yeah. <laughs> what I love, I think, a, a big thing about this movie that made it so successful is there is virtually no blood in this movie, but it's all the power of suggestion. You see the blood that's not there. Yeah. And that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. S- similar to uh, Hitchcock's, like, famous, you know, like, in Psycho and stuff. It's yeah. Like, what you don't see is, yeah, it's like that's powerful, you know? <laughs> it's really cool. I love filmmakers who can exploit your imagination like that. It's fucking great. Especially, and, and, and then with, with sound, you know, Carpenter's obviously a... a <laughs> I don't even know what word to use to describe him. With he's a, he's a, he's a master, you know, with sound. Uh, he he uses the, the sound of the knife has never been better in my opinion than in this this movie. The sound of the knife is just like oh. he's just stabbing a watermelon. <laughs> yeah, it just feel, it's just, it's intense. It's amazing, and his score is so menacing, so ominous. and so effective, but so simple. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. There's no way. To, des- to describe it. This movie leaves me speechless sometimes with, like, how pristine it is. Yeah. yeah. You get chills during something. Time when the music swells, you're like... Yes. Oof. And it happens again. <laughs> it's like a big crescendo, and it keep, just keeps happening over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Annie's dead. Linda and her boyfriend, Bob... Arrive at the Wallace house, and Bob is definitely my least favorite guy in this movie. Bob, fuck Bob, <laughs> fuck Bob. Bob's like that. You were gonna go get me a beer. Fuck off, Bob. Go get your own goddamn beer. <laughs> oh my god. So they're like, hey, nobody's here, so let's fuck. So they do. Bob goes downstairs, which is what kids do. Yeah. Like that's what kids are gonna do. Seniors in high school, empty house. I, I'm Do glad Carpenter fucking understands how people act. You know, like yeah. he's so good at just like fuck the studio, fuck what they want me to do. I don't care if it's the '70s, if it's if I, ahead of its time. I don't care. I'm. Like, this is how kids act. This is how teenagers in high school act. This is what they do, especially during the holidays. And it's like Halloween. You know, he just gets it time and time <laughs> again in each of his movies. The way his characters uh, interact and react to things is just is just perfect. It's really cool. Very true. <laughs> So Bob goes to get beer, and he runs into Michael, who pins him to the yes. fucking wall with a kitchen knife. It's, it's ridiculous. Hey, I love how we see that kind of again in the the eighteen one. Yeah, ah, oh, brilliant. So many throwbacks. Just a shout out. Yeah, it's so uh, genius. Michael then goes up to Linda in a ghost costume with Bob's glasses on, 
just to mess with her. I forget, I always forget how long he's standing there. It's crazy. It's a long time, and she even, like, you know, and he gets on the phone, and then, you know, oh, boy. It's like he's waiting for her to call Lori so that she can hear what he's going to do to Lori. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's weird. Like, Michael clearly has a plan here. And it's it's awesome. Which is which is fascinating because at the beginning you're, it's so hard. You're like, you're like, does Michael have a plan at the beginning, or is he just out to kill right now? He's just back in Haddonfield. Like here we go. But then and then I think in moments when he is killing, I think that's when the instincts turn on of like, okay, how can I be the most brutal here? Yeah, you know, uh, how, it's not just about the kill; it's about the scare. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Michael wants them exactly. to suffer. Yes. Yes. He yeah. literally makes Lori listen to her friend die. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is cold shit. Well, she doesn't know if it's a, a trick or not. She keeps, you know, oh, that's a breathtaking scene. <laughs> Maybe my favorite scene. It's oh. a breathtaking scene. Yeah. And around this time, Loomis finds the stolen car and starts searching around the streets, doing his own thing with his gun. <laughs> He's a doctor. <laughs> So, Lori is a little suspicious. She goes over to the Wallace house and finds Annie, Bob, and Linda dead, as well as Judith Meyer's headstone on the bed. So, Pretty Michael, frightening thing to see if you're yeah. a, a senior in high school. Michael has made a tableau. He's made his own project here. With the, He's hidden the bodies in careful positions, and he's got the headstone on the bed. He spent time crafting this. Like, I don't think he's crazy. He's just fucking evil. Loomis is right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And this is all stuff I intended, like I noticed with the most recent viewing. I looked at this with a much more critical lens. Same. Yeah. And I, I noticed his plan, and I never noticed the plan before. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I definitely was, uh, was watching with the you know, more critical, criti- uh, which, which is fun because there, yeah. t- there were times where I was like almost trying to be hard on the movie, but then it would just fucking fight back at me and, and be like, no, like the movie, the movie kind of keeps escalating. I, it gets better and better as it goes, but I think, I, I think like you're saying in those ah, man in those moments when he he has this quick plan that he's coming up with like on the go to get like the most style points. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> like he's like uh, you know for anybody who played video, you know uh, the uh, the old street games, he's trying to get a game breaker. He's trying <laughs> he's trying to get that bar all the way to the top and like make you be like, wow, that was done. That was done way differently than anybody else. Everybody else, you know, these guys just kill. No, he like like you said, it was like a project. Fucking incredible. Like there is in this universe, there is a scene somewhere where Michael is dragging the bodies around, hiding them in cupboards. He's picking the headstone up. He's like positioning it yeah, so it's in the perfect spot, and then uh, he just waits. He moves. <laughs> he moves with like with such purpose and pace. But he knows because of the phone call that Lori is going to come to him. Yes, it's. It's really, it's really brilliant. It's really brilliant. Oh God, brilliant! I, I think see things like that is why, it's why Michael, ha- is way better for me anyway than like Freddie or Jason or Leatherface. Michael's at the top. Oh, it's not even close, dude. It's not even close. <laughs> so I, bad. I really, yeah, he's he's all he, he's evil. He is evil. Yeah, but he's also fucking smart. He's 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 the shark. <laughs> I, 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 he is the, Michael Myers is the last guy I want chasing me. The last. I'm like, I don't think it's even close. I'm fairly certain I could stop Jason if I really had like an arsenal, but I don't think I could outsmart Michael. 
I also think if I'm with people, I can outsmart a lot of these. But I'm like, my, it doesn't matter, guys. We're fucked. Like, it doesn't matter. That guy, yeah. that guy's a beast. He's like a just a small truck <laughs> coming at us with a knife. Yeah, he's crazy. And you forget about just how strong he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's mm-hmm. that scene in the new one where he literally rips the fucking safe open, like rips the well, vault he, door open. Well, and he, you like, know, like. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he is just un- un- unlimited. Yeah, I-, I just lifted my foot up. He has oh, unlimited. He has unlimited power just in a, a stomp to someone's skull and just smashes. <laughs> well, it's 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 his unrelenting, his, his mindset, his mentality that I think allows him to go to that place with his strength. Yeah, because he's like, I'm not going to stop until it's done. Yeah, because he, you know, he'll, he'll do stuff. Yeah, like he'll try to press people's eyes in, and you know, whew, it's crazy. <laughs> Ugh. So Michael shows up. Lori, oh, lo and behold, <laughs> yeah, Lori's freaked out. She escapes. She goes back to the Doyle house. She can't get in. The door's locked. She tries to wake up Tommy, and she's freaking out. And Tommy's like, "Who is it?" And Michael's just walking slowly towards her. It's a great horror movie trope, you know. She's gonna trip. It's gonna get her. And then little Danny Torrance looking little kid. <laughs> so she gets in and fends him off. Tommy and Lindsay get the uh, they have to go escape. Michael and Lori start fighting and she hides in the closet and this is not one of the most iconic scenes of the movie. Yeah. I, in horror history, I, there's not a lot of scenes that you can point out to that people are, people recognize, you know, (laughs) she, uh, she gets Michael in the eye with a coat hanger. Classic dude. And that stuns him enough for him to drop his knife. She picks it up, stabs him in the chest. And he falls back on the floor, and you think, oh, it's, it's over. She killed the monster. Yeah. Boogeyman's dead. But that's when we get, <laughs> like, one of the coolest coolest shots of all time. Lori goes to tell the kids, you need to go tell the, you know, go to the neighbor house, get the cops. And then as she's just kind of sitting there, the calm after the storm, out of focus in the background, you just see Michael stand up like fucking Nosferatu at an angle, like, boom. The music starts kicking up, the kill theme, and you're just like, Fuck! <laughs> she doesn't know. It's fucking, I've seen this a million times. I still get chills every time. With <laughs> Me that. too. I, I'm still just like I, I need everything in the room to to stop for, for, for that for that part. So uh. Loomis sees the two kids running out of the house, goes in there to investigate, finds Michael and Lori fighting, and during the fight, Lori rips his mask off, and you get to see Michael's face for a second for just a tidbit it's pretty and, amazing yeah he's just a regular looking dude with an eye wound and it's kind of funny and he he pauses to put the mask back on I love that he could have the kill right now but he doesn't have his mask it's interesting what's the kill if yeah if they can see me yeah you know it's almost like he's you know the mask Michael is another person yeah it's almost like he's Distancing himself. Hmm. We saw something like that with Joker uh, recently. <laughs> if yeah. Michael talked, I'm sure we'd have a lot to. T- he'd have a lot to say. Oh boy! So Loomis shows up, shoots Michael six times, no warning. He's a doctor, and he knocks him off the balcony. Loomis goes to check, and no Michael. So he escaped somehow, and that's really the end of the movie. Lori asks him, you know, it was the boogeyman, and Loomis is like. I believe it was, because he, he's a doctor. He would know. And I shot him six times. <laughs> oh, Loomis, you're a terrible doctor, but we love you. That is Halloween, the gist, anyway. 
Uh, there's a couple, you know, scenes we might have left out. Like, I love when uh, Annie and... I think it's Annie. Annie and Lori are uh, smoking weed in the car. Oh, yeah. With, with Don't Fear the Reaper playing. And then her dad, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he could smell it. No, he couldn't. Yeah, he's just a <laughs> shitty cop, so... <laughs> Uh, it's great. It is It is a true masterpiece. Halloween endures to this day. And that's mostly, or partly because there were a shit ton of movies after that. And we've gotten a bit of a glimpse from Josh on a lot of these. But let's dig into all of these sequels and talk about, or at least try to talk about, any kind of legacy these had. The first sequel was 1981's Halloween 2 which was also written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, but directed by Rick Rosenthal, who would later direct 2002's Halloween Resurrection. So thank you, Rick Rosenthal, I, I guess. Donald Pleasant's Jamie Lee Curtis return, though this time Michael Myers is played by the man with the greatest name on the planet, Dick Warlock. <laughs> Ugh. How do you not get into acting with a name like Dick Warlock? <laughs> it's awesome. Or porn, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I think there's a clear, yeah, clear path there for, for old Warlock. <laughs> the film follows Lori, who is taken to a hospital, and Michael continues to pursue her. And this is the film where we learn that the reason Michael is intent on killing Lori is that she's actually his long-lost sister, who was adopted. This was dumb, I think. Took a lot of punch out of how random and frightening the first film is. Thank God this would later be retconned in 2018. Yeah, yeah. This has an IMDb score of 6.5, Rotten Tomato score of 28%, which I think is pretty low. I don't think Halloween 2 is particularly bad. That bad? Yeah. It's no. entertaining. It's the best of the original sequels, definitely. So, that's Halloween 2. I mean, not as bad. So, let's get into the next one. Next up is the film that divides more horror fans in the Blair Witch Project. And it's one of the few Halloween sequels that deserves its own podcast someday, if only so I can shit on it for an hour. 1982's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The only film in the franchise not to feature Michael Myers. Instead, this film features a Halloween mask company called Silver Shamrock that is trying to use the mystic druid powers of Stonehenge to kill the children who wear the company's masks and watch the Silver Shamrock commercial. It was written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, production de- designer on the first Halloween and it stars Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin, and Don O'Herlihy. The new idea was to release a new Halloween film every year, with every film featuring a new original story set around the time of Halloween. After this film tanked, the producers decided to bring Michael back for good. IMDb score of 4.9, Rotten Tomatoes score of 42%, and as I've stated earlier, I don't like it. Neither do I. <laughs> I gave it a 6, and a lot of horror fans have embraced this film as a cult classic, including Josh and Caleb. And I disagree. I have fun in that cult. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are drinking some weird-ass punch over there. Oh, watching the goddamn Silver Shamrock commercial. And I've, I've got more on Halloween 3, but I'll save that, because we are going to do a full episode on that in the future, because it's weird enough that it kind of deserves... Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm in no fucking hurry. Next was 1988's Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which featured the... Well, you guessed it, Return of Michael Myers. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, who'd have thought? Honesty in that title. It takes place ten years after the first film, and this time Michael returns to hunt down his seven-year-old niece, Jamie. IMDb score, 5.9. Rotten Tomatoes, 30%. I haven't seen this one, but I promise future Rewind updates on every Halloween sequel so we can do them a bit of justice. Next was, uh, uh, was 1989's 
Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, which saw Michael return to Haddonfield to continue to stalk his niece Jamie, who is now mute after the events of Halloween 4. IMDb score 5.2, Rotten Tomatoes score 13%, and still not the lowest rated Halloween movie. Next, we've got 1995's Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, where we learn the reason behind Michael's invincibility and need to kill. Turns out he's possessed by the Cult of Thorn, who placed a curse on Michael as a child. He is forced to kill every living relative of his as a sacrifice to the cult, and he will live forever until he is finished. IMDb score 4.9, Rotten Tomatoes score 6%. <laughs> that is the lowest point of the Halloween franchise for many. <laughs> and oh, Halloween 6. I can't believe Donald Pleasance, that was the last thing he was in. Oh my god. So sad. I'm going to watch it eventually. I think they call that rock bottom, yeah. You could say that. <laughs> Next was an attempt at a return to form of 1998's Halloween H2O. 20 years later, a terrible title that should have been a clue from the very beginning. This one was going to suck, too. Despite the return of Jamie Lee Curtis and a cast that included Adam Arkin, Josh Hartnett, LL Cool J, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Michelle Williams, as well as Curtis's mother, Janet Lee. H2O received mixed reviews, with critics calling it the best of the sequels, but that wasn't exactly high praise. Yeah, no. I mean, what do you... Yeah. I mean, you, we just we just named off a couple. They got a 13% and a 6%. The shiniest turd still a turd, folks. <laughs> IMDb uh... score 5.7, Rotten Tomatoes score 52%. The last of the original Halloween run was 2002's Halloween Resurrection, which opened with Michael finally killing Laurie Strode, seemingly ending Jamie Lee Curtis's involvement in the franchise. And who could blame her at the rate this series was careening down the mountain? Yeah, get out of there. This is one of the few films where you're actually rooting for Michael to slaughter everyone, because the characters are so god-awful. Michael goes home to find a fucking reality show is being filmed in his family's house in Haddonfield, so he cleans house! As I think any of us would. I mean, yeah, you go home, you find out some pricks have camped in your house. You're going to take care of that shit. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stars rapper Busta Rhymes, Katie Sackoff, Tyra Banks, and Kevin from American Pie. And features Michael getting his ass kicked by Busta Rhymes' kung fu skills. And... <laughs> IMDb score. I know <laughs> what, you, what you just read does not sound like a real thing. <laughs> it stars Buster Rhymes, Katie Sackhoff, Tyra Banks, and Kevin from American. <laughs> oh, what the fuck! Oh, I know this Jesus. sounds like a fucking parody. I mean, you can add up all these percentages, and they still <laughs> they don't still don't. Still won't equal the original. It's amazing. Oh, boy. Dude, we should watch these just for the fuck of it, because I feel like these would be fun. I need I need a whole day. Uh, IMDb 4.0, Rotten Tomatoes 11%. Resurrection. In 2007, Halloween was remade by horror director slash heavy metal superstar Rob Zombie, director of cult hits like House of a Thousand Corpses, the Lords of Salem, and The Devil's Rejects, among others. Malcolm McDowell stars as Dr. Loomis. Brad Dourif plays Sheriff Brackett. Scout Taylor Compton is Laurie Strode. And Tyler Maine is Michael Myers. So, pretty decent cast. Yeah. I mean, Malcolm McDowell and Brad Dourif, those are good names. Fuck yeah. And Tyler Maine is a big hulking dude. And 
He's, his Michael wasn't bad. Zombie added a significant white trash backstory to Michael, and the film features appearances from William Forsythe, Danny Trejo, Sherry Moon Zombie, Udo Kier, Clint Howard, and Bill Mosley. While the remake does have its fans, it was a bit too rapey for my taste, and I don't really consider myself a fan. It's a tough movie to watch. Uh, getting, getting a lot of rapey vibes here. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's so many there's so many scenes in this that are so fucked up, they're just there to be fucked up. Mm. And that's a big problem I have with Rob Zombie's films to begin with, is he sacrifices plot for just shock. And I, I don't dig that. Yeah, and not even, not even shock, like a, appealing shock. It's like grotesque and disgusting shock. And he erased all of the mythos behind Michael Myers by giving, making him like a white trash kid who talks... I try to disregard all these fucking fucked up storylines. Like, really? Really, guys? <laughs> Can you just have... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Uh, IMDb score 6.1. Rotten Tomatoes 27%. Yeah, you got above 20. I do feel the remake is worthy of its own episode someday. Possibly next October. There you go. So we will talk about that one in depth in the future. At some point. The remake had one sequel, 2009's Halloween 2, which saw Malcolm McDowell, Brad Dourif, Scout Taylor Compton, and Tyler Mayne return to their roles. And this time we also get appearances from Richard Brake, Octavia Spencer, and Margot Kidder. It continues Michael's reign of terror as he hunts his sister Lori, though this time he doesn't wear the mask all that much, which is a big no-no. IMDb score, 4.9. Rotten Tomatoes, 21%. Mmm... And that, I think, is the worst Halloween movie I've seen. The franchise was dead in the water for 11 years, until, of all people, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green picked it up. They were the writing-directing duo behind Pineapple Express, Your Highness, and The Sitter, so who'd have thought they'd be the guys to resurrect Michael Myers from the depths of production hell and make the franchise great again by making the film a direct sequel to the first one, ignoring all the cult bullshit and the sister twist, Effectively retconning the stupid shit away for good. Who thought fucking pyromaniac from Tropic Thunder, Kenny Powers, was going to be the guy to do this? <laughs> 2018's Halloween brought back Jamie Lee Curtis as an older Lori, stricken with PTSD from the events of the first film. She's a doomsday prepper who has tricked her house out with traps and weapons just in case Michael ever returns. Nick Castle portrays Michael once more, as we learn that after Loomis shot him in the first film, he was arrested and locked back up in Smith's Grove Sanitarium, where he waited for an opportunity to break out again, and he does 30 years later on a Halloween night. Oh, yes. The film co-stars Judy Greer, Andy Matichak, Haluk Bilgenair, and Will Patton. IMDb score of 6.6, Rotten Tomatoes score of 79%. Positive, finally. I give it a 9. I fucking loved Halloween 2018. Me too, yeah, it gets a 9 for me as well. I think it's... Close to close to perfection. Close, yeah. close to matching. It finally felt like Halloween again. Yeah, and it, I, what's so exciting is that we're gonna have like, you know, we're, we have these guys, you know, taking it seriously, and Green and McBride, and uh, they. I think, I think guys like them grew up watching Halloween, like actually grew up watching it. Yeah, and like understand from a fan's perspective what's good and what isn't. I think I think that's really valuable to have behind the camera and have you know in the in the production you know in the chair and stuff. So, Absolutely, um, it's and, valuable. You know, and McBride is a guy, self-proclaimed guy who's like, "This is something I can make because I've done all these other things, and here's something I love." 
and I can put all my 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 ha- passion into. That's great. That's the kind of people we need making stuff like Halloween, uh, because it needs to be taken care of. You know, <laughs> I just I, it's hard for me to even care about any of these other because um, I'm already not a big sequel guy anyway, unless it makes sense. And the 2018 one's the only one who make that makes any fucking sense to me. So. <laughs> Oh, that's the one I like, and yeah, I, I think it's great. I right, we'll do a standalone in that one one day. Oh yeah, like dive sure. into because there's some unbelievable kills in that one. Definitely worthy of its own film gasm for one simple reason: it's the only sequel that ever convinced John Carpenter to return to do the music. Yes, and that is that's fucking gold. That's when you know. <laughs> and his revamped version of Halloween is my favorite version of that theme. I I agree. <laughs> I agree. There are currently two sequels in development, 2020's Halloween Kills and 2021's Halloween Ends, both of which will be helmed by David Gordon Green and will star Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. Carpenter is also involved as executive producer and composer. Hell yes. Halloween Kills is currently filming, and I can't fucking wait. Oh my god, dude. We're gonna get, <laughs> we're gonna get a clean trilogy. Ugh. A clean Hollywood Halloween trilogy. I can trilogy. finally say, oh my god, I loved Halloween 3. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I can finally say that I want to watch it. You know that I want it to be in my life. Oh boy, you know. Oh yeah, it's so good. It's cool. So here's some filmgasm facts about the first Halloween. Number one, the story is based on an experience John Carpenter had in college touring a psychiatric hospital. Carpenter met a child who stared at him quote with a look of evil, and it terrified me. So that's creepy. Michael Myers is really out there. Number two, the character Michael Myers was named after the European distributor of Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct 13, as a kind of weird thank you for the film's overseas success. It all comes back to Assault on Precinct 13. about that? Number three, as has been noted, the killer is referred to as the shape in the script and credits for this film. The word shape was used by the Salem Witch Trials judges to describe specters or spirits of the accused doing mischief or harming another person. Mischief managed. (laughs) Uh, Next month, that's all I'll say. Number four. Robert England of the Elm Street film series revealed in an interview that John Carpenter had him throw bags of dead leaves on set for one day. So Freddy Krueger was there sprucing up the set. That's pretty cool. (laughs) This was, what, six years before Elm Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 84, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Number five, John Carpenter has mentioned in the past that he based Michael Myers on Yul Brenner's robotic assassin character from Westworld. And that makes perfect sense. The gunslinger in Westworld has that same evil, determined, robotic gait. It's just, yeah, makes perfect sense. And number six, Michael Myers' full name is mentioned in the television version of the film. In the scene where Dr. Loomis asks to have him move to a maximum security hospital, the doctors he is speaking to say his full name as Michael Audrey Myers. Mm. So maybe that's why he's so angry. He has the terrible middle name of Audrey. Oh, man. I I wouldn't mind having that as my middle name. I no. I like Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, but... I know it's like a girl's name. I feel like... Typically, but... As a kid... You, yeah, but if it's your middle name... I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm just... I've seen that too many times in movies. Or like a kid gets picked on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you would. You would. Like, because there's just <laughs> shitty kids out there. So, yeah. Michael Audrey Myers. Ma'am. Well, uh, you know what? You remember on Holes when uh, uh, John Voight's name is Marion? That's not really a man's name, is it? <laughs> Mr. Sir. 
That's great. I love holes. Me too. We got to do an episode on holes. We'll someday. find a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a way. Don't worry. So Halloween gets a solid ten from everybody. Yeah, yeah, hands, yeah, hands down. Undefeated classic broke new ground for the horror genre, and its impact is still felt today. So, why don't you tell us about this Friday's bonus? Oh boy, this Friday's bonus is a movie we've mentioned at least five times while on this podcast. It's going to be Assault on Precinct 13! Hell yeah! A movie that I hadn't seen yet. Finally watched it. It is fucking fantastic. Can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd say it's um, a very, very fun double feature with Halloween if you want to. Yeah. Very, very 70s and very, very Carpenter. So. The film that made Halloween possible. Yes. Uh, very excited for that one. So yeah, definitely uh, be on the lookout for that on the weekend. Yeah. Killer. This Friday, Salt and Precinct 13. Cool, cool, cool. So with that, let's have a look at what happened this week in film. Jonah Hill has dropped out of the Batman, and Paul Dano has been cast in the role of the Riddler. What do you think of that? Yes and yes. Jonah Hill, I love him to death, but I would rather him work on things like directing. You know, maybe try to get your second film under your belt uh, after mid-90s. That would be really cool. Or, uh, you know, or do other things. I just don't think he has a place necessarily... um, in this DC, uh, what they're trying to do. Paul Dan, on the other hand, is fucking perfect for the Riddler, and I think if there's any fucking way that him and him walking could be on the screen <laughs> together, I would lose my goddamn mind. I love Paul Dano. You know I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. He just had his directorial debut last year with Wildlife. I think he's on some sort of rise. He's, like, entering his late 30s. I think this is when he's going to try to, like, really find his footing. And a, a role like this, where you can be in front of America, fuck yeah, can't wait. <laughs> Super excited for him. He's a great choice for the he, he is. I mean, God, his body type is just, like, so perfect for it. And I know he can play stuff like just an egotistical maniac. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obsessed with puzzles. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Super excited. <laughs> Next up, Jada Pinkett Smith is returning to the role of Niobe in The Matrix 4, joining returning cast members Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. Set for release in 2022. <laughs> Fuck it, why not? <laughs> I want to like this. Me too. <laughs> I want to like this so bad. Yeah, well, I don't. You know, I'm I'm in the I'm in the boat where I, I just I don't care for a two or three really um, at all. I kind of do. I, I I don't, and I I don't know. I I'm obsessed with the Matrix. You know, 1999. Uh, I this would be great. This looks like a really cool cast. So I'll say this about be back. Reloaded and Revolutions. They're bad movies. But they've got some moments in there that I fucking adore. Agreed, but I think, like, you know, I think some of, you know, like, episode one, two, three of, like, Star Wars has some good moments, but I'm still not going to watch <laughs> them again, or, you know? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard, because it's like, yeah, you want to be in that world, and you're like, oh, God, I love Neo so much now. Like, The Matrix is so cool, and Trinity's amazing. I want to, like, love it so much, but I, I, it's just the caliber is, like, nowhere near what they did in the first one. I could just watch Hugo Weaving do fucking that anything. That, too. That, too, yeah. Did the whole, like, him copying pe- people and, like, making more Smiths, I thought that was really cool. Man. The big Smith fight in part two, I fucking love. Yeah, yeah. There, and uh, yeah, there's re- moments. Reloaded sure. as a soft spot for me, because that is the first movie I ever saw at the Alamo Drafthouse. The Matrix Reloaded in 2003. Wow! Back when it was still just like one theater in, yeah, in yeah, Austin. Yeah, I yeah. was visiting my uncle. He took us to this new movie Holy theater. Shit. And I was like, they give you food? What? <laughs> While I'm sitting this down? This is the coolest place ever. Your uncle's like, yeah, and I get to have a beer, man. Yeah. Like, this is this place is nuts. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I wonder what the first movie I saw at Draft House was. I, I have no idea. <laughs> That's crazy to think about, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sweet. So yeah. here's hoping the Matrix Four. Yeah, yeah you never know. Is and, good. And also, it's in fucking three years, so like you know, I'll, yeah. I'll forget about it. You know, and then <laughs> it'll come back up. <laughs> we'll see. Next up, David Duchovny has been cast in the upcoming remake of The Craft, which is currently filming but has no current release date. And there's no word yet on who he's playing, and I have not seen the original Craft, so I couldn't tell you anything. Yeah, neither, neither I. But I love David Duchovny, so I'm in. Of course, we're, <laughs> of course, we're both. Yeah, yeah, we're both big fans of his by default. <laughs> we have to, dude. I I've seen the I watched the entire X Files maybe five six times. It's one of my all time favorite he, shows. He's just he's perfect. Yeah, he's perfect. The truth is out. There. He carries that show, man. <laughs> David Duchovny. Once he left, one of, my, one of my favorite shows. Huge ever. dip in quality. Oh yeah, and the, uh, yeah, not the same. No, not the same. And I watched Californication as well, and I don't know why I fucking stayed. I liked the first season, and then I, I was just gonna say going. I watched the first season and I, and I liked it. I just, I just didn't. It didn't stick with me. I'm picky. You know? Nobody learned anything. Eight seasons. Nobody f- was any different than they were after the no, end of the first still episode. Shitty. Yeah, not changing. Horrible. It pissed me off. I felt like I'd wasted a lot of time. But then I love Evolution. It's one of my favorite movies. There you go. Evolution is is great. So I'm I'm on Team Duchovny. So I'm down for checking out whatever he's doing. Next up, and this was really weird. Daniel Kaluuya is producing a Barney movie. Yeah, Barney the Dinosaur. Remember him? I do. <laughs> that big purple thing. Daniel Kaluuya, really? Like what and why and how? I don't know. <laughs> and that guy's been all over the place. You know, he's amazing. That's such an. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I I read that and I was like, "What the hell does this even mean?" It's going to be very strange. Uh, Naomi Harris is in talks to play the villain Shriek in Venom Two. Oh yes, starring uh, joining Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock and Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, who becomes the vicious symbiote villain Carnage. Andy Serkis is directing, and it's set to release in 2020. And I think that's fucking perfect. I'm yeah, I'm like yeah. wicked excited. I love Naomi Harris. Me too. She's <laughs> yeah, she's a ter- terrific performer. She's probably my favorite Money Penny in the Bond franchise. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's... Although I do have a soft spot for Lois Maxwell. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Lois. The, yeah, we'll do the Bond franchise someday. Yeah, of course. Sam Raimi is working on a new horror film. He is described as a blend of Misery and Castaway. It's his first horror-directing gig since 2009's Drag Me to Hell, which we have covered in episode 29, and I think it's cool that Sam Raimi's getting back on the market. I'm very excited for this. Especially with this Misery Meets Castaway idea. And if he's saying that, then yeah, yeah alright. So some guy shipwrecks on an island with some psychopaths, so that sounds I'm great. <laughs> I'm in. Sweet. And finally, Robert Zemeckis is in talks to direct Disney's live-action remake of Pinocchio. Well, yeah, I mean, they're just going to go down the list of the movies and just be like, alright, Who's down to make a script for this one? Here we yes. go. Yeah, let's do it. It's exactly what they're doing, and I have I have come to terms with that. <laughs> Yo, yeah, I came to terms with it. I, I, really, when I saw when I was like, okay, John Favre is doing Jungle Book, I was like, this is going to be a thing now because that guy sees everything before we all do. So <laughs> he's a he's a he's a damn genius. Yeah. One of the most important men in film history. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> which is hilarious. The oh, guy yeah. the guy who did Swingers. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Swingers. We'll have to do like I we'll we'll have to shed some light on John Favre one day. Oh hell yeah! And, like dig in on what he's. You could thank him for the MCU. Yeah, it's yeah. Great, it's and then and then yeah, he's he's really the guy who was like push push the envelope for the the live action Disney. Yeah, which obviously he, now is a big deal. He did the Lion King though too, right? Yeah, I did not like that. Oh, neither did I. But yeah, 
You can't win them all. But Zemeckis... But people saw it. I adore Robert Zemeckis. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. I love every one of his films. And I'm excited to see his Pinocchio. I was going to say, I think there's going to be some sort of twist on it that would be really really captivating. I'm sure it would look, look amazing. Pinocchio is a story that hasn't been retold over and over and over and over. Uh, it would be something I think would look really cool on the big screen today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in 2020, 2021, yeah. Killer. That concludes episode 34. We hope you enjoyed our breakdown of Halloween and the massive franchise that followed it. And next week, we're diving into the mind of horror icon Vincent Price on Weird Shit Wednesday. Oh, yeah. We'll discuss a selection of his most celebrated films and try to unravel what it was about this man in particular that made him the face of horror for a good chunk of the 20th century. Until then, steer clear of the boogeyman, and happy Halloween.